0: I'm the Children's Ministry Coordinator here at LFCD. Just wanted to let you know about a few things that are going on in our community. The first is mission trips for this summer. The first one is to Cochabamba, Bolivia. Um, it's July 8th through July 16th. And we're going to be with working with Children's Impact Network, CIN. Um, and it's an orphanage there. And it's a really neat opportunity. And then the other one is Abaco barco. Bahamas, and that's July 29th through August 4th, and we're going to be working with a youth group there, um, which will be a really, another really cool opportunity. I wish I could go to both. That'd be awesome, Um, and then the second thing I want to tell you about is discovering baptism. We have a class next Sunday, which is February 25th, and if that doesn't work for you, we have another one in April 22nd, and it is a great way to kind of learn a little bit more about um, LFC's beliefs and requirements for ranging from babies to children to adults. And so kind of wherever you fall in that range or whatever works for your family um, is definitely a great way to learn more. So one of the things I do with my team every week is kind of throw out a question of the week. And this week's question is to share. Something you love to do that you wish you could do more often. So turn to the person next to you and greet them and share something you love that you wish you could do more often. Thanks, guys.
1: I don't know how many of you just said, preach the sermon, something you wish you could do more often. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. A fun little uh, thing that you should know uh, about the life of the church is this. Uh, Emma already told you some good ones coming up. Discover baptism and then the mission trips this summer. And we actually did get some mission trip cards printed and put on that, the info table. So if you need a card with more info about the trips or whatever, grab it on the info table on your way out the door. But a cool thing going on in the life of the church a couple weeks back, we managed to uh, close out the books for 2017. And so this is the, uh, the, the cool little thing just wanted you to know um, because you were a part of this. Between uh, the congregation, all of us giving more than we had anticipated, and then between and the staff underspending what had been budgeted, uh, which is always a good thing. I don't use my whole clothing allowance, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> Got to think about that. Uh, between the congregation, you guys, us giving more than anticipated, and the staff underspending uh, the budget, we ended in a surplus we ended in a six-figure surplus. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, Yeah, that's not bad. That's to you guys. Um, And that's after, I mean, we give 10% to missions, 3% to church planning, and about a percent and a half to other churches and pastors in our denomination. So that's with all that already accounted for, Um, the 14.5% we sort of give away. So um, just well done you know, well, well done, and you're being generous in whatever level you were able to give generously in 2017, well done in being generous, and uh, all of us working together, we, we pulled off something really kind of cool. So, as we continue to, to both proactively and patiently uh, look for, could there be a more permanent spot for us in Davidson? Again, we look for that proactively and patiently. Uh, could that kind of thing come for us? Uh, now we have a little bit of, uh, uh, what do they call it, capital. Uh, that, which I've been told is important in real estate. I'm a pastor, don't know anything about any of that. But it's a really cool thing. So thanks to all of you, and we're uh, excited to see what happens in 2018. I mean, we're like six weeks into it, but excited to see how it continues to unfold. Now I will do the sermon. How about that? So as a teenager, I spent a hot July afternoon with my cousins at the Six Flags in San Antonio. It's a dizzying morning. There you go, flips and turns and a roller coaster that went backwards. It was very dizzying. And as we are standing in line to order lunch, I realize I feel horrible. Like not in my stomach, in my head. I feel horrible. And I realize in pretty short order, I need to go sit down and get myself together or I'm probably going to go down right in the middle of the floor. And so I did make it to a seat And as my family loves to recount, I was a very pitiful sight for quite a while, but I started to do just a little bit better once they got some water in me. See, the issue, it turned out, we later figured out, was that I was thirsty. I was not principally dizzy. I was dehydrated, and I was principally thirsty, and it was the very dizzying, fast-paced morning that had hidden how thirsty I truly was. It was not until later that I realized when I was about to collapse on this floor, I decided to do something about the thirst. So uh, that's what we're talking about this morning. This morning we want to talk about being thirsty, about being so thirsty that you realize you can't hold it together anymore. Hopefully you will be smarter than I am and decide to do something about your thirst before you almost collapse onto the dirty tile floor at the Six Flags in San Antonio, Texas. Hopefully, you and I will be drawn in by the words of Jesus when He once taught this, John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, in other words, to the crowd, Let anyone who is thirsty come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Today we start a Lenten series called Running on Empty. We are looking at Jesus' encounters with people recorded in the Bible who were running on empty, moments when Jesus would meet a person at their point of need. Now, Lent refers to the 40 days preceding Easter. It's a time when many Christians reflect on our own points of need. We reflect on our personal needs. We reflect on our collective needs as a community, as a country, as all of humanity. And what we often realize is that there are some places in our lives where we are running on empty. And my prayer for us in this series is that we would encounter Jesus, whether for the first time or in a new way, we would encounter Jesus in our needs and in our emptiness. And thus that we could help other people, even with their needs and even with their emptiness, to encounter Jesus. So today we're looking at John chapter 4, what Kendall read for us earlier. Of course, if you don't have a Bible, you're free to take the one... In the chair is our gift to you. We would love for you to have it. The setup team would especially love for you to take that Bible. Or you can always download an app, a free Bible app for any smart device you have. A lot of ways to have access to the Bible. So in John chapter 4, we learn Jesus and His disciples are walking through a region called Samaria. Verse 6 says, "...Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon." So Jesus is tired from a long journey, and He sends His disciples into town. He sends them into town to buy some food. But Jesus is tired, and so He sits down at Jacob's well. Now Jacob is a person, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may know who Jacob is. If you're not familiar with the Bible, that's fine. Jacob's uh, life can be found in the first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis. And his well was a famous place. It was a famous landmark for the Jewish people of that time. Now, Jacob went on to be called Israel, the person for whom God's people were named. So, Jacob is a very important person in the life of biblical history. And in the heat of the day, Jesus is sitting down resting at Jacob's well. Verse 7, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then a parenthetical comment, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, we don't know exactly why this Samaritan woman came out to draw water at the hottest part of the day. I mean, likely she was hoping that she would not see anybody there. And yet, she finds Jesus just sitting at Jacob's well, and he is thirsty, and so he asks her for a drink. And you can tell that Jesus breaks some boundaries of that day to ask for the drink. He wants to engage this woman in a conversation, in a spiritual conversation. This woman points out that this is a little bit unorthodox. And frankly, how often does Jesus get to be a little bit unorthodox? And so he, she says, listen, Mr. Stranger, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along very well. They were culturally different people, and their cultures often clashed with one another. And further, Jesus is a man, and she is a woman. And long before there was e-harmony, there were wells. And so if you ever have some free time, and you want to read through what Christians call the Old Testament... The, the, the Hebrew scriptures with the Old Testament of the Bible, you will discover that almost every time that a man goes to a well, he returns home in a relationship. <laughs> in other words, Jesus' encounter with this woman went against people's expectations. His encounter with this woman went against the expectations of other people. Because if the average person had walked up and seen a man and a woman talking at a well, they would have started rumors. Or if the average person had walked up and seen a Jew and a Samaritan speaking to each other, they would have gotten angry. So Jesus is willing to go across divides to reach out to a person. Now that's really good news for some of us. Because we have successfully burned about every bridge in our lives. And we continue to become more and more isolated from other people, maybe even from God. We are surrounded by a great divide. So what does Jesus do when he comes to a divide? He crosses it. And it doesn't matter to him what other people think. Jesus crosses the divide in order to offer you, to offer me abundant and everlasting life. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. In other words, if she knew who she had just stumbled upon at this well, like it was any old person in any old day, she would be asking Him for water. She would be asking Him to to quench her thirst, not a physical thirst, but a spiritual thirst, not a throat thirst, a soul thirst. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she hasn't caught on to exactly what's going on yet. She doesn't realize Jesus is talking about soul thirst, and so she says, How can you give me living water? You don't even have a bucket and this well is too deep for me to hold you by the britches, and you try to scoop down some water. But then she makes a great observation that shows at some level she's beginning to understand. She says, oh, well, if you're going to make good on this living water promise, are you greater than Jacob? She asks Jesus if He's greater than Jacob. At some point, level, she has pieced it together that this unknown fella sitting by this well would have to be greater than her greatest ancestor if he's going to deliver, if he's going to make good on this living water promise. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is now amping up the living water promise. He says to the woman, He says to us, I know how to satisfy your thirst forever. I can satisfy your soul thirst forever. But then He takes it a step further. He says, I'm not simply talking about satisfying a thirst I can make your life a bubbling spring, a gushing fountain. I'm not just about satisfying your thirst. I'm also ready to give you gushing fountains of life to make your life a spring that constantly runs with abundant and everlasting life. Interestingly, that's the exact same thing He said to the huge crowd in John chapter 7, with which I started the sermon after the little bit about fainting at Six Flags. He says that to the huge crowd, but then in this really beautiful moment, it becomes clear that Jesus' message is not just for the masses. Jesus' message is for an individual. Jesus' message is for you. Jesus' message is for me. Jesus' message is for the person sitting beside you, the person you live beside. It's not just a message for the masses. It's also a message for an individual. verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman essentially says, I want this gift that you're talking about because I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well. Now, this is a moment at which we need to pause and evaluate where we are. She says, I want the gift so that I don't have to keep coming back to the well, this well. So, does she want the gift that Jesus offers? Yes. Bingo. Does she fully understand the gift that Jesus offers? Very good. Yes, you can say it out loud one more time. No. Brilliant. So, she does want the gift, but she does not fully understand the gift. Her heart is turning to Jesus, but she doesn't really understand what that means. This is the interesting thing. It doesn't seem to bother Jesus. Jesus is okay to let desire come before full understanding. Jesus is okay to start with desire and will let understanding build over time. He is attentive to this woman in a moment of true spiritual openness. So that if you're a spiritual explorer, if you're trying to figure out what you think about all this God stuff, you may be able to sympathize with this woman. You may not fully understand how the whole Jesus picture fits together. But at some level, you know that you want what Jesus is offering And I think Jesus' response to you would be the same that it was to this woman. I can work with that. Let's start there with a desire that may be stronger than understanding. We can start with that. Let's start. So everything's going great. And then Jesus decides to turn this whole thing upside down. Verse 16, he told her, well, first go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now hold on a minute. What happened to the Jesus who all he does is kiss babies and hold little lambs and want to be everybody's buddy? Because this woman, though her understanding is far from complete, her heart is turning to Jesus. She wants to accept His gift. And what does Jesus do? He says, first, go call your husband. In other words, oh, look, an elephant. This woman has a moment of true spiritual openness, and Jesus decides not to keep easing her along. He decides to go right to the deepest source of pain in her life the place where she has both caused and experienced the most wreckage. And she tries to sidestep it by saying, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says something to her that must have sent a chill through her body. He says, you're right, you've had five husbands, and now you're just a bedmate. So what is Jesus trying to do? You can see the world starting to swirl around this woman. How did he know? Why did he bring it up? Her life has been this dizzying thing ever since she married the first man, and now this unknown stranger sitting at a well is making the world spin faster. Is that what Jesus trying is trying to do? Is Jesus trying to make her dizzy? Is he trying to let the guilt of the dizzying amount of guilt from all these things come rushing back to her? I mean, we could try to interpret it that way except for one thing. What has Jesus' conversation with the woman been about up until this point? Thirst. It's been about thirst. It's been about His physical thirst and her spiritual thirst. She is not principally dizzy. She is principally thirsty. And Jesus is not bringing up the husbands and the bedmates stuff because He wants to plunge her into the dizzying realities of her life. He is actually trying to cut through the dizzying realities of her life, trying to cut through the rapid, dizzying day in and day out of her life to get to the very thing that she seems to be overlooking, which is her thirst. And if you keep reading in the passage, you'll see that again she tries to sidestep what Jesus is doing. She doesn't want to talk about herself. She, she changes, tries to change the subject to theology. She doesn't want to talk about her personal life. She wants to talk about concepts, about arguments. So it's as if Jesus says to her, your life is full of wreckage. And she says, that's interesting. What's your view of predestination, Jesus? Uh, Jesus says, your life is full of wreckage. And she goes, noted. Who should Christians vote for, Jesus? What do you think about that? Jesus says, your life is full of wreckage. And this is his point. If you start to pull up the pieces of the wreckage, what you will find there is a parched soul. Because we are thirsty. We are thirsty. We are thirsty for love. We are thirsty for meaning. We are thirsty for purpose. We are thirsty to be truly alive. We want to know that we're alive and that it's good to be alive. We want to know that life has meaning. Even if our lives have fallen short of what they could have been, even if we have fallen short of who we could have been, this woman's heart starts turning towards Jesus, and he decides to run right into a pile of relational wreckage and says, I want to talk about this. And she tries to avoid it because there's so much guilt in that wreckage. But Jesus is not trying to get her to relive the guilt. He wants her to see the thirst, the thirst deeper than Jacob's well, the thirst that you cannot quench with what you put in a bucket. Jesus is saying, essentially, you see how deeply you want to be loved. You see how deeply you need to know that you matter. And you thought every time that this time it was really going to work. This time you'd be truly loved. This time you would know that your life had purpose, and he made you feel alive, didn't he? But then you were thirsty again, and he was thirsty again, because all this wreckage did not create the thirst. The thirst created the wreckage. All the wreckage did not create the thirst. The thirst created the wreckage. This is the point of the sermon? Typically, the last thing we want to talk to Jesus about is the first thing we should talk to Jesus about, because it shows most clearly our need for Him. Often, the last thing we want to talk to Jesus about is the first thing we should talk to Jesus about, because it shows most clearly our need for Him. It shows most clearly that we need to rely on His love for us instead of trying to earn the love of other people. It shows most clearly that we need to trust that He has given purpose, given us purpose, instead of working ourselves into the ground to try to feel like we matter. We, we learn that we need to trust Him to give us abundant and everlasting, gushing fountains of life instead of confusing adrenaline rushes with being alive. And ultimately, we need Jesus to bring healing into the wreckage. We need His help as we make amends for the things that we've done. We need His healing in our own lives, that we can exchange shame and guilt and receive grace and surrender. There are so many things that we can look to to quench the spiritual thirst in our lives. And Lent is a very good time to sit back and examine this. Sit back and examine it for yourself, for for your, your community, for your country, for the world. What do we turn to to try to quench this deep spiritual thirst? Now, I'll give you a little hint. It's typically easier to see it in everybody else. Typically easier to see what everybody else is running after and seeking out than maybe what you're running after and seeking out. So so as much as I encourage you to think about it at a community or state or national or global level, don't forget to think about it as an individual level. What do I turn to to try to quench my deep spiritual thirsts? We can look to all kinds of things. We can look to relationships. could be a, a spouse or a parent, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a child. A job, an award, a status symbol, a philosophical system, or a standard of living. We can look to all kinds of things, but until we decide to kick these things out of the center of our lives and invite Jesus in, we're going to keep going dry. We're going to keep running on empty, and there is a better way, and His name is Jesus. He can quench your deep spiritual thirst. So, this afternoon, hopefully you have some plans for this afternoon that include taking a nap, and I don't know what else. When you wake up from the nap, something that you could do is you could get the Bible that you took or that you have or that's on your phone or whatever, and read the rest of what happens in this woman's story. It's found in John chapter 4. Now, if you don't know where John chapter 4 is, that's okay. You have the whole afternoon to find it. The only thing that could be confusing is towards the end of the Bible, there's a book called 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Not what we're talking about here. We're talking about just John, JJ, just John, no number in front, and see what happens in this woman's life, but this is sort of the summary of it. Once she begins to get just a little bit more sense that she is forgiven, once it starts to bubble out of her just a little bit more that Christ loves her, that Christ will give her purpose, that Christ will give her life meaning, it starts to bubble out just a little bit more in her life, and what she finds is not only is her thirst beginning to be satisfied, but she has something to give away to others. She goes back to the people she knows and says, you need to come meet this Jesus guy. He may be God's promised deliverer. He's a little unorthodox, but he's sitting over here at a well. You should come meet him. They're like, what, what are you doing talking to a guy at a well? You know, they start asking all these kind of questions. You begin to see how it bubbles out of her life. This is one of the truest signs that you'll begin to see that Jesus, is, is His abundant and everlasting life is beginning to do its work in your life, is that you'll find you have something to give away for the benefit of others, whether they be physically thirsty or spiritually thirsty. It won't just be about satisfying your own thirst, you will also have something to give away. People will say, there's something different about you since you walked over to that well. She says, well, you need to come meet the guy I met at the well. You won't believe it, what he knew about me. He wanted to talk about the one thing in my life I didn't want to talk about. So here's my question to wrap up with you. The question is this. What area of your life do you hope that you and Jesus never talk about? I told the first service, I must have been in a punchy mood when I wrote this sermon. If that's the question I want to end with. What area of your life do you hope you and Jesus never talk about? What area of your life are you trying to keep Him distracted from? What's the thing when some movement starts to go in that direction, you try to sidestep it? Let me suggest a different way, which is not to avoid it, but walk right into it. Deal with it. Deal with it honestly with Christ. Deal with it honestly before God. Begin to see your thirst. Begin to see how that thing illustrates some of that you are thirsty. At first, it will feel dizzying, but what you may discover is you're not principally dizzy, you're principally thirsty. and begin to see Jesus as the one who can quench that thirst that you and I are looking for in all kinds of different places. I'm asking myself this same question. To begin to see Jesus as the one who will cause gushing fountains of abundant and forever life to come from us. We often think well, that will be awesome. I, I'm, I'm so excited about like, that abundant life thing. That sounds great, Jesus. Except that the one person in the Bible who really asked for it, then Jesus brought up the most painful thing in her life. In other words, sometimes to get to where God's trying to lead us, sometimes to get to where Christ is trying to lead us, we have to walk through the rough terrain. We have to walk through the hard stuff. But He walks through it with us. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk with God about whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. You may even decide in this moment it would help you to visualize a prayer. You could put yourself in the place of this Samaritan who walks up to a well, who walks up to a place that she knows and is very familiar with. And yet there is a a person sitting there she does not recognize. And after a little bit of chatting, she sits down with him. And then he brings up the one thing in her life she would have never wanted to talk about. Just talk to God. Lord, as we walk through these areas of our lives, I pray we would not walk alone. And Lord, I pray we would not be taken under by a dizzying sense of guilt or shame, regret, but that instead we would be recipients of your grace. Lord, that we, like this Samaritan, would run away from the encounter saying, you won't believe what just happened. Come meet someone who knows everything about me and loves me anyways. So, Lord, I pray that we would take these things in our lives, these hard places in our lives, that we would continue to let you do the work in us. That as we take these six Sundays up to Easter, that we would be willing to admit, open up about, and let you do your work in some of the places in our lives where we are running on empty. So that we would turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't just want you in my life, I need you in my life. And I pray beautiful things would happen where your grace meets our need. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together with our voices, our offering, and our prayer requests.